Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It is the Tuesday night of Arkansas homecoming 2019 at the Capstone set to unfold this coming weekend in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined as always here on Tide Talk by my colleague, Charlie Potter, Alabama team insider and beat reporter for us there at BamaOnline.com. And Charlie, you know, I'm struggling to come up with some topics on this edition of Tide Talk. I mean, there just hasn't been anything of note that has really gone down since what, about 9-15 Saturday night between then and now. I I, I don't know, Charlie, what are we going to talk about on this one? It beats me. I I think we'll probably just be resorted to talking about an ankle of of a player, just something that minute. I think that'll probably probably be the, the subject of this podcast. That's right. Tua Tonga Vailoa with that high ankle sprain there in the second quarter of the Crimson Tides, 35 to 13 win over the Tennessee Vols at Bryant Denny stadium late night with the Crimson Tide and a game that we'll touch on a little bit here as we get going. I thought it was just kind of a strange game in general. First of all, it was a night game. That's something we hadn't experienced to this point of the 2019 season at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Um, It was a game that started with Alabama getting into the end zone without much effort. So you're thinking at 7 to nothing quickly there in the first quarter. Here we go again. Alabama going to exert its dominance uh, quickly and early, and this thing will probably be put to bed sometime around the middle of the third quarter. But then suddenly uh, an uncharacteristic mistake, or maybe it's becoming more of a characteristic mistake for Tua Tonga Vailoa when it comes to red zone turnovers. But uh, Tennessee takes advantage. They say, you know, we got a competitive football game into the second half, and not until Trayvon Diggs runs back a fumble 100 yards for a touchdown. Did you, you know, I, I didn't feel like Alabama was being threatened even at that point, but in terms of definitely sealing the deal. That's what Diggs's touchdown did. But Charlie, just kind of a just kind of a weird, weird meeting there between the balls and Alabama, right? Yeah, it was pretty strange. Um, you know, first of all, it was weird being in the press box at nighttime. We haven't done that all season, whether on the on the road or at home. And um they brought out the new LED light show. Um I, I think a lot of people were excited about that. And um, you know, just being a rivalry game. I think people showed up to the stadium with cigars ready to, to go in their back pockets and expecting a pretty convincing win or at least a convincing lead on the scoreboard by the third quarter or so. But that wasn't the case. You, know, you mentioned, um, you know, they, they scored early. Alabama took a 7 nothing lead. And then, you know, Tua Tonga-Vailoa kind of forced a throw into the end zone that was picked off. And that set everything up to be a tie game. And, um, you know, he, he went out of the game with a, an ankle injury and that kind of turned everything on its head. Um, you know, it's one of those games that just as a reporter and somebody that covers the team and covers all aspects of the team, you don't really like to see that one. You never want to see anybody get hurt, but two, that is going to dominate, 
you know, the rest of the night and the, the rest of the, the next weeks for, for what we have now. Um, and it, it's kind of tough to, to focus in on everything else that happened in the game. But I thought overall we did a, a pretty good job of doing that. Um, you know, there were a lot of big moments, whether it was that Diggs touchdown, um, you know, and things like that. I thought the, the interception by Jared Maiden was a big play. I thought he played well in the game. But it was, yeah, it was a, it was a weird sort of game you go into a lot of these now when Alabama has these strings of wins against teams especially uh you know conference opponents like a like a Tennessee like an Arkansas they're going to play this week and you you almost kind of get the the game ready beforehand but you know you had to kind of mix things up a little this week and it was an interesting one to say the least and to say the least I know we'll have a lot to talk about regarding uh to not only tonight but in the weeks to come no doubt about it and as we're sitting there in the press box at the time of Tua Tagovailoa's injury, it's the the thing that is predictable is that it's going to set off a chain reaction of reaction on social media, on our phones via text. Um, the 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 news, quote unquote, becomes fast and furious at that point. I think at one point Saturday night, someone had Tua Tagovailoa on a chopper. Uh, headed to maybe uh, a foot specialist or an ankle specialist in Los Angeles. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. That's what's amazing to me is is the the, the hyperbole, the, the the reaction of it that comes about, and it's understandable. I mean, you're talking about arguably the top player in all of college football, potentially the number one overall draft pick uh, in the 2020 National Football League draft. Uh, but man, when it is a guy of that stature, uh, it, it it kind of it kind of requires a little period there, right, of 45 minutes to an hour after it happens where you can sort of get back centered on what's still going on, which is a football game. Yeah, it definitely you know, leaves you discombobulated just because as soon as it happens, you're just like, it's almost like a sense of dread just because as a reporter, you know what lies ahead. Everybody is going to want to know what's going on with Tua. Everybody thinks they know what's knows what's going on with Tua. Um, you've seen the the video of the, the ambulance leaving. Uh, you mentioned the helicopter. It's, it's just anything and everything can be um, figured out or put out there on social media. And people are going to believe it. And everything has been. Um, I've, I've seen things and things have shown up in my mentions on Twitter this week that are just, you know, they're almost laughable. And um, but it, it is. I mean, the, the caliber of player he is, the importance um, that he has to this team which is a team that's the number one team in the country right now. And um, I guess just the true value of, of two and what he means to this team and his national championship um, aspirations, it, it's a big deal. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a situation where he's had this before, although to the opposite ankle. And, you know, when he was on that award circuit in, in December of last year, that was anything and everything everybody was talking about. You know, he had the walking boot on. In Atlanta, he took it up to New York and was, you know, moving around on a scooter, and people were just falling around and getting any and any and every kind of update they could. And that's what these next couple of weeks are going to be leading up to the LSU game. Um, you know, right now he's doing the same thing. He has a walking boot on and is, you know, moving around the facility on that scooter. Uh, he's not putting any weight on it for the next several days. And you know, Nick Saban said after about a 10-day period, he's going to be. You're know, doing some pretty active and heavy rehab uh, to get back on the field and 
the good news for him is it's something he's been through before. And now we'll just all be, you know, waiting and watching and, and posting update after update of, of how he's doing leading up to that big game. You know, in between, though, I guess all of the sort of speculation, the rumor, those things that are out there, there is some informative stuff uh, on social media. And one of those things I think we both saw this evening from Chris Fowler of ESPN and ABC's college football coverage. Of course, the play-by-play guy, the lead play-by-play guy um, for that network. Uh, I thought he had a pretty interesting interview on his Instagram account with uh, a specialist in the area of, you know, things like high ankle sprains involving highly competitive athletes and the potential to return. And this particular uh, procedure that Tua's had done now twice in what, eight, nine months, I guess nearly 10 months now, I guess it is actually getting closer to 11, I guess. Um, but, but I found that to be informative at least, right. In terms of, you know, kind of the expectation for Tua and whether or not it's realistic to think he can get back with a week's less time this time around than he had for the Orange Bowl last December. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, last year he had, what, 28, 29 days between the SEC championship game and then the, the Orange Bowl against Oklahoma. And now between the Tennessee game and the LSU game, it's about 20 days. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a big chunk taken away. But one of the things that the Fowler pointed out is to his injury memory. Uh, it's something he's been through, and I don't think that can be stressed enough. He knows what to expect. He knows what his body can do. And uh, he knows where not to push himself. And that's a big thing for Tua. And we've heard earlier in the year and we've seen on social media, he's a guy that will go out there and, and post on his Instagram story that he and his brother uh, Talia are at the facility working out after a game as soon as they get back in town. I think it was after the um, the opener, maybe even after the Carolina game, you know, he and his brother were, were at the facility working out. And, um, you know, Nick Saban has really preached to him that less is more. And I think in this situation, having gone through that, he knows maybe where not to push um, in, in certain areas to maybe, you know, kind of expedite the process or maybe not worsen things. Um, you know, he's a, a fierce competitor, and uh, I think that's going to help him in getting back. But, you know, having gone through this and the knowledge that he has, I, I think it, it can't be stressed enough. But, you know, it's the biggest thing. It's not an update. Don't get it mistaken from that. They are not somebody that has worked on Tua and, and you know, have their finger on the pulse of his rehab. But, you know, as an expert in the field, I think his opinion is valuable. And he's a guy that says that you know, Tua's return for LSU game seems very likely. I think a lot of people, um, and and I think you and I both agree with this, that he's probably not going to be 100%, but a Tua Tongavaloa that's 80, 85, 90% is better than anything else they have on the roster. And so, uh, like, like we've been talking about, this is going to be a situation we continue to follow. Um, you know, Nick Saban's been adamant that it's an unpredictable situation in the recovery process. You never know what can happen. But I think with Tua, his teammates, and, and the coaching staff, and even now you're hearing from some experts in the field, you know, they're pretty optimistic that he'll be able to at least suit up and play against LSU. The question now becomes how effective is that going to be? Yeah, with some guys, you have a concern, you have a worry about whether or not they're all in on their rehab coming off a situation like this. You don't worry about that with Tua Tagovailoa, as you outlined. If anything, you worry about Tua pushing too much too quickly uh, to try to expedite the situation. So uh, we'll see. You know, I would probably suggest, based on you know the things that we've heard 
um, kind of what this entailed a year ago, or not quite a year ago with Tua. What do you think, Charlie? Middle of the bye week, maybe start to start to maybe think about seeing Tua uh, doing more of the active rehab, as it's been put, in terms of trying to get that thing ramped up. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, if the the bye week matches up with what they did earlier in the year, they'll practice uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They'll have a practice Friday, but that'll be closed to us. But even on Tuesday, I think I'll be looking for him out there with with Jeff Allen. Uh, I think Wednesday is definitely um, a target date, if not Thursday. I, I think all three of those days are going to be, you know, you're going out there and just scanning the field relentlessly, looking for 13. And um, I think he is a guy though that that's the target date, maybe, you know, 10 days is, is whenever um, Nick Saban outlined that. And that's kind of where that falls. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to try to take their time with him because they do have uh, this game that I think they can more than win with Mac Jones at quarterback. And they have the bye week. It, it could not have come at a better time for Alabama. But, um, yeah, I definitely think the middle of the week next week is a, is a time that we'll certainly be looking for him out on the field whenever they're you're doing some work during the bye week to get ready for LSU in that second, what, third of the season. Yeah, that's when the antennas, I think, for a lot of people will will start to, to go up, uh, maybe more the middle of the bye week and kind of get an idea where he may be trending uh, as they head into that bye week weekend uh, leading up to LSU on November the 9th. Now, uh, you know, it, it's still too early to kind of try to speculate uh, if, in fact, Tua is able to go against LSU. How does this impact the playbook? What Steve Sarkeesian wants to do? Does this put the offense pretty much in shotgun mode exclusively because of the demands of playing under center and what it requires? We, we still got a little ways to go on all that. What we do know is redshirt sophomore Mac Jones set to make his first start behind center for Alabama on Saturday night, homecoming 2019 once again, with Arkansas coming in here. Um, I would I kind of described it as a nervy performance, especially early on for Mac Jones, thrust in there suddenly like he was. I thought settled in okay. Uh, which What are you expecting to see from Mac Jones, knowing that he has a full week of preparation and still has all these weapons around him? Um we're, we're quick to judge. We're quick to judge in this in this time of social media and things like that. Uh, but what do you expect to see from from Mac Jones Saturday night, Charlie? I think the week of preparation and the week of taking those first team reps and, and preparing as the starter will help him. Um, I think when you're behind a player like Tua, you don't expect to go in the game unless it's you know, a big lead, even though he has kind of had a, a history of injuries. Um, you know, we saw at the LSU game last year when Jalen was dealing with this same ankle injury that when Tua went out for a brief period of time, Mac Jones was thrust into to duty. And kind of like this, this Tennessee game, he kind of looked like a, a deer in the headlights a little bit. So I think preparing and uh, just being ready as the starter will be uh, different for him. I think, you know, <laughs> Arkansas is not a very good team, but I think they could try to sell out and try to pressure him and make him as uncomfortable as possible. It'll be up to the offensive line and the players around him to, to kind of keep him or keep them from doing that. And, I mean, they have the Alabama has arguably the best receiving core in the nation. And I think Mike Jones has enough talent to get them the football. And, and I think the biggest thing is he seems confident at practice. 
the players and, and everybody, whether it was offense or defense, are confident in him. Uh, you know, Miller Forstall just kind of had rave reviews about him. How he, I think his quote was, "He can throw the crap out of the ball, and they're not, not really going to change the playbook much." But um, I think that Mac Jones can go out and win this game. Um, if this was the LSU game, I would be very concerned uh, just because of the, the level of defense that they play. But um, I think he can get the job done. I, I'll be really interested to see how he looks early on with the nerves. I think that'll go away. But if he goes out and is confident from the get-go, I don't think Alabama will have any kind of problems uh, with the Hogs. But it is pretty astounding that this will be the first time since, I believe it's 2004, uh, when Brody Croyle went down with an injury, that Alabama's starting quarterback will miss a game because of an injury. That's that's a pretty astounding streak of games, and it, it just goes to show not only the um, the way the offensive line is played, but the training staff that Alabama has to keep these guys healthy and on the field. But uh, I think Mike Jones, yeah, I think he can get the job done. Yeah, and that 2004 season, one of those very first games after the Brody Croyle injury, was against the Arkansas Razorbacks. So there you go. There's your symmetry 15 years later. Mark Gillen, a transfer from the University of Miami, started against Arkansas in Fayetteville. Uh, Alabama did not win the game. I think it'll be a little different outcome. And it sounds crazy, Charlie, that you, know, you talk about, well, will Arkansas really sell out against the run because Mac Jones uh, is that quarterback? And you question that because, look, you still have these receivers around this guy. So that should help Mac Jones. Not just that the run game is emerging and continuing to improve, but end of the day, you still better respect these receivers, right? Yeah, I mean, if he can get the ball to them, uh, I, I think this offense is probably not going to be rolling like we've seen. I'm not saying that, but um, I think he can do a serviceable job. I mean, you look at – I think everybody forgets that before – to a, I mean, Alabama didn't have a world beater back there at quarterback. I think A.J. McCarron uh, progressed over his career. But you look at the John Parker Wilsons, the Greg McElroy, that's more of what Mac Jones is. And those guys had great careers. They were able to distribute the football to the playmakers around them, and they took care of the ball. I think that's a big thing for Mac in this game is just to take care of the football, make smart choices and decisions, maybe throw the ball away whenever um, he's faced with pressure and is forced out of the pocket. Uh, not try to do too much because you don't want to force a true freshman uh, into that role and into a situation like he faced last week against Tennessee. But um, you know, with this week of preparation, with having worked with these receivers in practice all season long and, and getting a full week with them, uh, they have the talent around him to keep this thing rolling. And I think if he just goes out there and, like I said, makes good choices and decisions and take care of the ball, I think they'll be fine. It is Tide Talk on a Tuesday night with Charlie Potter. I'm Travis Ryer. We do this each and every Tuesday night during the college football season. Back with more of the pod right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Tide Talk right here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Charlie Potter joining Travis Ryer 
on this Tuesday evening as we get you ready for Arkansas Saturday night, Bryant Denny Stadium. Six o'clock kickoff on ESPN. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about the fallout from the situation, the injury involving Tua Tonga Vailoa, what this means for the offense, what this means for Mac Jones. Um, I'm going to ask you this, and then we'll move to the defensive side of the ball, Charlie. You know, if if you're the Arkansas defensive staff, we kind of touched on this just a minute ago. Which is the the, the two of the poisons that you try to steer clear from the most. I mean, because uh, as we talked about, these wide receivers are still healthy. You know, it's not like they got hurt, like they're going to miss the game with Tua. They're all still going to be there. Um, But then you've got Najee Harris in this run game that's improving. And by the way, Arkansas comes into this game Saturday night ranked 13th in the SEC in rushing defense, giving up right around 193 rushing yards per game. So, how do you play it? Do you do you still take your chances against those receivers because you have to stop the run first and foremost? Or uh, I, I don't, you know, even with Jones in there, I, again, I, I'm not sure which way you go if you're the Arkansas defensive staff. Yeah, it is tough just because they're just not a very good team. Um, I think if if you're a team like Texas A&M or just a better defensive team, you might you know, look at putting seven, eight players in the box and make Jones beat you with his arm, uh, putting pressure in his face, making him uncomfortable and and things like that. But um, it's just, like I said, with, with Tua's injury, it, it could not have come at a better time just because of the, the competition they're going to face and then the bye week coming up before that um, all-important LSU game. Uh, I, I think Mac and this offense can continue to, to do some good things. I mean, he's not Tua. Um, I don't think anybody's going out and saying that, but he has the the players around him that have given time and and if he's able to execute, that they can do some good things. So, if I were a defensive coordinator with um, a better defense, <laughs> I would I would put more players in the box and make him beat me with my, with his arm and just you know put pressure on him at all times. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how much Arkansas can do that just because they haven't been that great in, in any facet of the game this year. No, they haven't. Um, pass defense actually statistically a good bit better, so maybe you do come out and challenge Mac Jones and those receivers a little bit until he shows he can in fact make throws on a fairly consistent basis because Arkansas, again, poor when it comes to the run and Najee Harris on a nice stretch here. Uh, what about Talia and all this? There is still going to be a Tonga Vailoa dressed out at the quarterback position for Alabama Saturday night. Where, where does he kind of factor in all this, Charlie? Yeah, Nick Saban said he's going to be the backup and, you know, that's expected. Um, you know, he's a guy that's been the number three guy all season long. He's played in two games so far. So, yeah, I think if, you know, the offense continues to do what they've done all season, um, I think we could see Talia in the second half and then he'll have one more game to, to play in if they want to try to preserve him uh, with the red shirt, uh, with that new NCAA red shirt rule. But I think that he's going to be a guy they look to get into the game. Um, you know, if, if, you know, the, the wheels start to fall off for Mac Jones, it, it wouldn't shock me really to see uh, Talia, you know, put in the game behind center, but I think that's just kind of worst case scenario. But uh, yeah, I think he's he's the he's the number two guy this week, and I think he's gonna be featured in some capacity, um, you know, because they wanna or you don't know what's gonna happen with Tua. I think we've talked about how they are feeling optimistic about his availability for the LSU game, but 
if you get to a sizable lead, you put the backup in and save the starter. And right now, the backup is Talia and the starter is Max. So I expect to see number five out there, and we'll see how he looks. We haven't seen him in a while. We'll see if he's able to kind of run some things with the offense and, and maybe show off his own a little bit. Yeah, I think because of the presence of Talia on multiple levels, easily the biggest week in the career to this point of Mac Jones, not just in terms of getting the job done this week, but the impression and sort of the audition that he's getting big picture wise, because we all sort of kind of think we know what awaits next spring, assuming Tua makes the jump to the national football league and how that could open up things in terms of a quarterback competition with Mac Jones, with Talia, Paul Tyson, obviously in that mix. And then, as we especially know, Bryce Young, five-star quarterback coming in from the state of California in the 2020 recruiting class. Now, otherwise, from an injury standpoint, I guess Will Reichard, the the biggest news uh, from Saturday night. And, uh, you know, Alabama kind of stumbled upon what could best be described as a punning unicorn, I guess, in the game in the third quarter. Yeah, um, you know, Will Reichard re-injured that hit that's kind of been bothering him. And it doesn't sound like he's going to be available for this game. I think that's smart just because he – I don't want to say he was rushed back into into duty this week, but, um, you know, you could tell that he's just not 100%. And that's clear because they're not trotting him out there for field goals and kickoffs or extra points or anything like that. Joseph Boulevard is still doing that. But, you know, just because of the struggles with Skylar DeLong, they decided to, to put Will Reichert out there and he went out and – re-injured that hip flexor that he's been dealing with. And, you know, they, they punted two more times after Rikert's punt, and I think they might have been two of the loudest ovations we heard on Saturday. <laughs> um, may, the two times I think that were louder than uh, Ty Piran's punts, especially the second one, was when the lights turned on for the first time, and then probably Trayvon Diggs' 100-yard scoop and score. And, you know, those are tough to beat out. But, you know, whenever you're a walk-on punter and you get an opportunity – and you go out there and you hit a 51-yard bomb, and then you know when your coverage unit falls apart a little bit and you make a tackle, um, I, I think that that shows a lot about um, your willingness to go out there and do whatever it, it takes for the team. And I think Ty Piran is that guy. Hopefully I'll have a story up on him later this week with a little bit more insight into him and his career. But, yeah, that is, a, that is an awesome story because a lot of these walk-ons don't get – an opportunity and uh you know we actually saw it last year in the tennessee game when mike bernier was was given a chance after Skylar DeLong struggled a little bit and uh, that was the story again this year it took an injury uh to will Riker, but they might have found something in piran that the question now is can he keep that up uh he was averaging more than 45 yards a punt and alabama hasn't seen that since jk scott uh, if he can go out that there and do that this week and really flip the field and help out mac jones in that offense uh, I think they might have found a new punter, and um, you know we'll see if he can keep it up. That'll be something I'm really watching on Saturday. Yeah, those hip flexors, man, when it comes to kickers and punters, just so temperamental. And you really don't know. You don't know until you go out there and take an actual game rep. Because in pregame warm-ups, we watched Will Reichard Saturday night, and it looked like he was kind of going at it about 50% on some of those punts. Well, your natural inclination, instinct takes over, adrenaline, all those things. When it's live and it's real, you're going to let it loose. You're going to cut it loose. And I think that may have been what happened to Will Reichert and unfortunately had a re-injury there 
of that hip flexor. Charlie, let's talk some defense here on Tide Talk on the Built by Bama online podcast. You know, we were both out at Tuesday's practice, and I think we got the perfect illustration of the challenges that this defensive staff continues to try to uh, you know, overcome or, or, or to improve. And that's the area of youth. I mean, we were both out there Tuesday, and Brian Baker, a defensive line coach, just in a technique during individual drills in relation to getting off blocks. Um, you know, the, the, a fundamental skill, but one that a lot of linemen, you know, come to the power five level. And, and it's, it's something that takes some time for them to master. And Brian Baker, Sal Sanceri, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how hard these guys are coaching uh, these young guys, and it's not just the young guys either. There's some some older guys that are still trying to get there. Uh, but that was my takeaway from our little bit of time out there Tuesday, Charlie, especially on the defensive side. It definitely was, especially there on the defensive line. Brian Baker, he, I don't want to say he's quiet on the field. He is one of the louder coaches. A lot of that has to do with where we are situated, though. And uh, we, we hear a lot from him in South Sanceri, but he was very uh, boisterous on Tuesday, to say the least. And, yeah, you, you have a, a situation where you're starting two freshmen along the defensive line and you have another that's coming off the bench pretty early in Justin Boigby. And, um, you know, even a guy like Christian Barmore, he's a redshirt freshman. And he's someone that you know, he has seems to have all the talent in the world, but a lot of the times he's wanting to go a different direction than everybody else. So making sure they're on the same page or everybody – on the defensive front is on the same page as big. I think getting off of blocks is big, and we saw that today. Um, you know, while we were standing up there watching the defensive lineman and, and hearing what Brian Baker is, is saying, you can just hear expletive after expletive after expletive from Sal Sanceri. That's nothing new either. That's just kind of Sal. But I think a lot of these defensive coaches, especially the guys up front with Baker and Sanceri and, and Pete Golden coaching those inside linebackers, um, yeah, I really would love to just – and maybe one of these sit-down, off-the-record um, talks with Nick Saban, just hear what he thinks about the job they've done this year and getting these guys along because, um, you know, coaching at any level is, is always a challenge. But when you have so many young players and young players that are forced into first-team roles, getting them ready and continually, you know, harping on them and getting them to do the right things, that's, that's a chore. And uh, I think these guys have done a pretty good job of that. I think the defense especially has shown progress, although it may be gradual over the course of the year. And, um, you know, I think it is all about fundamentals. I think the the two bye weeks this year are just incredibly instrumental in just using that time to go back to basics and continue to harp with them and get those mental reps and to help them along uh, because there are so many young players along that front. And, yeah, I mean, Tuesday, um, it's not that – we don't see that a lot, but it just seemed to be more so of the uh, on the agenda, of just harping the the basis and fundamentals with those young guys. Well, what it does is it also shows you why some guys play a lot and why some guys play a little, because you watch a DJ Dale in that same drill Tuesday, like we did. DJ Dale, it's crickets when he does it. It's a good job, or that's it, right? I mean, it's not a remedial session that breaks out for some of those other young guys, you know, understandably so, by the way, this isn't jumping on young guys. It is, 
Brian Baker reemphasizing and reinforcing the point over and over. You know it drives him crazy because against Tennessee, it was the same base run play that continued to gash Alabama throughout the game. Now, the stats look okay, um, but Tim Jordan, Ty Chandler, they both hit chunk runs on the same play. It started in the first half. You know the staff goes in there at halftime and says, look, guys, they're hitting us with this weak side zone. You know, we got to get off some blocks and make some plays. It's three on three. It's a tackle, uh, uh, you know, a guard and a center. Uh, you got a, a tackle, uh, a, an end, and an inside linebacker. They're getting three hats on three hats in that in that format. Somebody's got to get off a block and make a tackle. And, and that's that's what the emphasis was on Tuesday while we were out there. So uh, if you're wondering – uh, if if the coaching is 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 happening, I, I can tell Charlie and I can tell you uh, at the most fundamental level, they're doing everything they can to get these guys up to speed as quickly as possible. Hey, Charlie, before we get out of here, uh, something else I want to talk about Alabama men's basketball secret scrimmage winner over Jacksonville State over the weekend and what should be a, a really nice challenge from an ACC opponent coming up this Sunday. Yeah, they were able to to beat Jacksonville State in a close scrimmage on Sunday, and that might not really seem like much to most, and I agree with that. But you look at last year, and this is a Jacksonville State team that um, ran up Alabama up and down the court and beat them pretty soundly in a close scrimmage. And it was one that you saw the um, the box score, the, the stat sheet that's handed out after games. It got out on Twitter, and then it was quickly deleted. I'm sure Avery Johnson and and his staff uh, had something to do with that. But you know, this year you saw a little bit more on Twitter about it. I think they were okay with that getting out there with what everybody calls a secret scrimmage, but everybody already knows about it. And um, it, that's, that's a big deal for this team because um, you look at where they stand just from a personnel standpoint, you're already without James Rojas and uh, Jawan Gary, who are both out with ACL injuries. Um, James Beetle Bolden is a guy that is, really close to being fully cleared, but he's still dealing with the shoulder issue. Um, you know, we saw him take part in the three-point uh, competition, the tied tip-off on Friday. So he's really close, but he was held out. They didn't play uh, Javon Quinterly, who's still waiting on his NCAA appeal. And I don't believe that Raymond Hawkins, the, the freshman, played. So that's five scholarship players that did not play in this. Um, your starters are the, the guys that have been there before, Kyra Lewis, John Petty, Herb Jones, Alex Reese, Galen Smith, and then – they got some big minutes from guys like uh, Jaden Shackelford, uh, Jalen Forbes, uh, Javian Davis, who almost had a double-double. And they were able to do that against a team that ran them out of the gym basically last year. So I think that is the step in the right direction for this Nate Oates coach team and what will be his inaugural season coming up. And uh, I think it just it says a lot about where they are from a preparation standpoint, from a practice standpoint. And uh, I think Alabama fans will probably be pretty pleased with what they see on the court against Georgia Tech. I think that's going to be a, a real test. Uh, I believe that Georgia Tech's coming to town because they wanted to really have a, a test on the road. And Alabama was you know, more than happy to oblige for a charity exhibition. Uh, but to get big contributions from Kyra Lewis, I think he played almost 40 minutes, 39, if, if I remember yeah. correctly, with, with 21 points. Herb Jones scoring 17 points with a guy that seemed to have some offensive struggles last year. That's big. And, you know, to have another big on the floor like JV and Davis in an offense is going to be pretty small 
for him to to go out there and shoot the ball pretty well and get ten rebounds. That that's big for Alabama. So I'll be interested to see it with my own eyes on, on Sunday in that Georgia Tech game. But it seems like Nate Oates has these guys pointing in the right direction. Kyra Lewis playing thirty nine minutes in a secret scrimmage kind of speaks to the importance of Javon Quinterly's waiver, I'd say, and the health of Beetle Bolt during the 2019-2020 season. If you can have those two guys throughout the upcoming season to go along with Kyra Lewis and maybe keep a couple of those point guard types on the floor together, Charlie, uh, how, how many uh, how many wins in terms of difference do you think that could make to have that three uh, threesome together there uh, on the ball a good bit? Uh, relative uh, compared to, you know, if Quinterly is denied and, and Bolden struggles with his health, I, I think that may be the biggest factor for this team moving forward. I think it is because when you're already without Rojas and Gary, you're going to have to play a smaller lineup most of the time anyway. And that's that's not something that Nate Oates is opposed to. He would prefer to do that. But you're limited in just the size that you have on the floor. You, you're you're going to have to play Herb Jones maybe at the four. You can maybe even play him at the five in some sets. But you're going to have – a healthy Beetle Bolden, um, I think, is really, really big for this team. Uh, but to get Quinterly waived, which I think they're going to probably hear some news pretty soon just because they are going to have that exhibition on Sunday and the season starts up at the start of the month. Um, to, to have him uh, be cleared, if, if that's the case, would be huge for this team just because of the way that they um, like to have multiple ball handlers on the floor uh, together at the same time. And, um, you know, Kyra Lewis – Beetle Bolden, Javon Quinterly, those are fast dudes, and they can shoot, and they can slash, and they can distribute, and I, I think that's a really big part of this NATO's offense. So it'll it'll go a long way in their success. You obviously have to keep those guys healthy, and um, you have to not just run Kyra's legs into the dirt. Um, you know, midway through the season will be really big. So yeah, I think a lot of people are holding their breath for for Javon Quinterly. He almost teased people today with a the tweet that uh, said, <laughs> let's go, but he had to put out a, a tweet later that said it didn't have to do anything with his waiver. He was just having a good day. But uh, I think Alabama will hear something pretty soon, and we'll see if they're excited or not. Yeah, uh, Javon put a lot of Alabama fans in a glass case of emotion with that tweet, <laughs> in the words of Ron Burgundy. But, um, yeah, and you touched on something, too. This, this just isn't going to be a big basketball team, regardless. Um, and so – defending might be an issue in the post and other than Herbert Jones, even on the ball a little bit. So you're going to have to score. And and that's what Nate Oates' system is predicated upon, putting the ball in the hoop, shooting threes, 94-foot game up and down. Uh, So, yeah, man, if you can get Quinterly eligible to go along with Bolden uh, and Lewis and Petty and Herbert Jones – uh, that that helps things immensely. Charlie, I think we hit on about all of it, man. What about you? Yeah, I thought we'd talk a little bit more about to his ankle. seems like that's all I'm talking <laughs> about these days, but it's good to talk about something else for sure. The Tua tightrope hashtag. You know, we need to get that going. Hey, Charlie, great stuff. Great coverage as always for us there at BamaOnline.com. Be sure to check it out. Uh, Check out Charlie on Twitter as well, if you haven't already. I'm sure you probably have, but if not, at Charlie underscore Potter, P-O-T-T-E-R. For Charlie Potter, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again to tuning in to Tide Talk on a Tuesday night. Talk to you again real soon. 
chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire now streaming on Paramount Plus.